Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview elite entrepreneurs and I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality and we are the number one show on the Voice America Network. Today, we're going to talk about developing the I can mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. As you know, my interviews with the world's elite entrepreneurs are all about helping you launch your new business or take your business to the next level. Sometimes the penny drops with the right information for you to start something profitable yourself or help you do your job a whole lot better. Please help me get my show to those that need to hear this in the world. Please share and consider giving me a review. The easy way is to go to Apple Podcasts or go to ratethispodcast.com slash Tony. Thank you for your kind review in advance. Today's show is about developing the I can mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. Let's see what we can learn today. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary recap of what we went over. So stay tuned for that. Author Jack Canfield is an award-winning speaker and an internationally recognized leader in personal development and peak performance strategies. As the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, he's taught millions of individuals his formulas for success. Miriam Laundrie wrote the first draft of I Can't Believe in Myself on the flight home from a transformational retreat taught by Jack Canfield. Here we go. Hi, Jack and Miriam. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. So good to have you on with us today. Glad to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Hi, Tony. Hi, Miriam. Guys, I love your new book titled, I Can Believe in Myself, which is aimed at our younger generation, our kids. It's got a powerful message, and it would have helped me a lot when I went to school, just so I wanted you to know it is that powerful. And I hope every single person in our audience gets a copy. Yeah, guys, it's that good. This is a great book. We're going to talk about it. And perhaps let's give everything the proper um, focus. Let's start with your journey to success and kind of how everything began. Let's start with you, Jack. How did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Well, I grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia. My father was uh, got out of World War II. I'm 76 years old, believe it or not. And um, my mom and him didn't get along that well. He was a little violent when he drank, so... They got divorced when I was six. I grew up and uh, was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go to Harvard. I played football. I think that's why they let me in. I graduated from the half of the class that made the top half possible, I always like to say. And so, but basically my senior year, I took an elective class. It was called uh, Social Relations 10. It was really a, a group where people got together and talked about their feelings, talked about their goals in life. And... Um, it was new to me. I, I was totally in my head up until then. And I started knowing I had a heart, I had vision, I had goals. So I started to get interested in the whole human development movement. And from there, I went to uh, the University of Chicago, where I know you live for a while. And I, I taught in a high school there. I went to graduate school at the university there. And I, what really transformed it all for me was I was teaching in this all-black school, and about halfway through the first semester, I realized my kids weren't all that motivated to learn, and they didn't believe they could learn. Their self-esteem was really low. 
There was a guy in Chicago by the name of W. Clement Stone who was worth $600 million. He had a foundation called the W. Clement and Jesse V. Stone Foundation. And they were running courses on achievement motivation. How do you motivate people to achieve more? So I went and took that class. I started applying those principles in my classroom and my kids started doing really well. And pretty soon all the other teachers were coming to me and saying, what are you doing with your kids? You know, I started teaching them and the principal said, I want you to start teaching this self-esteem development work to the other teachers. And it became system-wide. Then I became a consultant all over the Midwest, uh, working with the Stone Foundation. And then I went back to graduate school at the University of Massachusetts, studied psychological education, became a psychotherapist for a few years, actually. But always interested in how do you help people be uh, more successful and have their lives be more fulfilling and be happier. And so that was really the, the beginning of all this for me. And then, as you know, as they say, the rest of the story, old Paul Harvey used to say, was someone once asked me, said, that story you told about the puppy, is that in the book anywhere? And I said, no. And the next week, someone said, the story about the Girl Scout who sold 3,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies, is that in the book anywhere? And I'd say, no. And that's what led to Chicken Soup for the Soul. And so I put all these stories I was telling because I realized students respond to the stories, teachers were responding to stories, inspiring stories. And so that led to Chicken Soup for the Soul, which led to 225 books, 500 million copies sold. And then uh, I started, I wrote just one more piece. I wrote a book called The Success Principles. And then I started running a workshop on that. Miriam, who's here, uh, took that workshop. And then it was a result of that that we decided to write a book together. So that's my backstory. And I'll let Miriam tell you hers. Well, for me, I'll, I'll take you back to that moment where I was sitting at Jack Canfield's seminar. This is back in 2012, about six, eight weeks prior to that, I had just given birth to my son, my fourth child. And the day after that, we lost my 17-year-old niece to suicide. So it was a time that was full, full of emotions. And I was not doing well, baby blues and the grieving. And my husband suggested that I go see Jack Canfield to, the, to his seminar. So I, I went, I left the eight-week-old baby and went and you know, the, the one thing that kept com coming up for me was that word can't. So Jack took us through an exercise on how to let go of the word can't. And, you know, it just brought me back to my childhood and hearing that word can't so much. We, I come from an immigrant family living in Toronto with two parents from Bolivia, and that word always came up. So I spent a week there learning from Jack, hearing about all these great principles. And I just kept thinking, why didn't I learn this when I was younger? This is all amazing, great. But where would my life be had I learned this when I was younger? So on the flight home, as I was reflecting on what I was going to teach my kids when I got back, what I was going to tell them about the conference, I thought, well, that's what I got to talk to them about, how to flip that word can't into can. And it was a long flight from Arizona to Toronto. So I thought, okay, I can't just go home and dump this information on them. I need to entertain them, to tell it to them in a story so that's when I wrote the first draft to I Can Believe in Myself. And I mean, I, I self-published the book from there. It took me a year. I continued going back to Jack's courses. It helped so much with the book. And then I approached him when I wrote The Big Bad Bully maybe five years ago. And that was our first book that came out a year ago. And then now our publishing company has picked up I Can Believe in Myself. It's been completely redone. Brand new illustrations. Jack has added to the story and has added exercises at the end of the story. So that's my backstory. That's how this whole journey as an author started for me. 
So is it from the workshop you did with Jack Canfield that brought about the vision to do the to write the books, the bully book, and now the I Can book? Absolutely. I wrote it on the flight home from that conference. And by the way, for the audience, as I've probably said before, it is a good read. It's a fast read, but it's powerful. And it kind of reminds me a little bit, if anyone in the audience has read or heard about the book, Jonathan Living Siegel came to my note. It's very different in a way, but it is so inspiring that when you're done, you just want to read it again. And it's that kind of book. I guarantee every single person, it can change something in your life and some of those around you. Check out that book. It's really good. We're going to talk more about that. Jack, did we go over what brought about the vision for writing? I got that you were so good on writing every on, on your stories. And is it because people were asking you for stories for, hey, where's your Girl Scout story? Where's this story? Is that what brought about this was that the impetus or the embryo for for your books? Yeah, what happened was I, I wrote a book in 1976 called 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in a Classroom. And that was a result of my experience teaching in Chicago and then teaching teachers how to develop self-esteem and eventually turned it into a book. And I didn't write much after that for a while. And then I started uh, teaching and I was always noticed if I told a story, whether it was my story or a story about W. Clement Stone, or a story about Muhammad Ali, or a story about a Girl Scout I mentioned who sold more Girl Scout cookies than anyone. She actually is, it was in the Guinness Book World Record for having sold the most Girl Scout cookies. And I would tell these stories to inspire people to believe that anything's possible. Doesn't matter where you start, how you started, uh, you can overcome any obstacle and achieve success. And what I realized is the stories Velcro the principles to the brain. You know, I can give you a concept, like when I taught history, my kids would look out the, the window and they wouldn't be there. I'd tell a story. If I told a story about an escaped slave during the, the Civil War, you know, who became later the Secretary of uh, State, I think, what happened is they were paying attention. They were on the edge of their seat. So I started using stories all the time. And eventually, it never occurred to me to put all the stories in one book. And But people, there was only like a month, Tony, where everyone would just go, a story about, is that in the book? Is that in the book? My daughter needs to hear that story. My sales team needs to hear that story. My wife needs to read that story. So I'm flying back on the plane. I guess all these great inspirations happened on the plane. Like Miriam, I was flying from Boston back to LA where I lived at the time. And I just, it was like those old commercials where the guy slaps his head on the head and says, I should have had a V8. I'm going like, wow, I should put these stories in a book. So I wrote, I made a list of all the stories I knew. There was about 70 of them. And I thought, well, that's enough for a book. They had the Girl Scout story, the puppy story, the Tony Robbins story, you know, whatever it was. And I made a commitment that I would write two stories a week, one Monday through Wednesday and the other one Thursday through Friday. I'd let them sit for a week and then I would edit them the following weekend. And over the course of a year, I'd have a book, you know, two stories a week times 50, 50 weeks. And that's really how it, how it happened. This is the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundry. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Here's a special invitation for you. Join us live for our after party of the Tony D'Urso Show. This is your chance to talk about our show. Our guests ask questions and get any help you may need. This also gives me a chance to mention anything else about a guest that we didn't have time for, such as my show with Christy Whitman. We didn't get a chance to fully talk about 
the council. It's amazing. Now we have that chance. Join me live for our after party of the Tony D'Urso Show at Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. This is the only place where I do live Q&A. Yes, live Q&A. You get to ask me anything live and I'll respond live. I love it. And it's free. Sign in at Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. Create your avatar and you should land on my channel. Otherwise, just look up my name. Now you get to be a part of my shows. How cool is that? Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O is a live social conversation app where you can be a co-host, part of the conversation, or simply listen. And again, you can make live comments anytime. How cool is that? You can ask me anything. Really, I'll answer questions about startups, taking your business to another level, hacking your day job, and a zillion other things I learned from today's elite entrepreneurs. Do you want to know more about how Christy Whitman opened up the floodgates of abundance? Or learn more how Patrick Sherwin crowdfunded his way to millions in annual sales? Would you like to share what you got out of my elite entrepreneur interviews? This is your chance to ask me directly, live. Join me live on Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. You'll see my schedule when you sign in. That's S-T-E-R-E-O dot com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. I look forward to having you there and sharing your comments and questions. All right, sign up and tell me how much you love it. Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. Also, listen through to the very, very end of the show for more info on my live after party show. Newsflash, the live after party show is now every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific. Sign in now so you know how to find my weekly live show and also catch prior shows. I look forward to speaking with you every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this, and I'll share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. Also, there's a special announcement at the very, very end of the show about my live after-party show. Check that out for more details. Jack is the author and co-author of more than 150 books, including 66 bestsellers, with more than 100 million copies in print in 47 languages around the world. His best-selling book, The Success Principles, has been hailed as the new self-improvement classic. All right, and now back to the chat with Jack and Miriam. And then what happened was I was probably two-thirds of the way through the book, and Mark Victor Hansen, my co-author in all the Chicken Soup books, was having breakfast with me at a, at a, at a hotel, and he said, what are you working on? I said, I'm doing this book of stories. I told him what it was about. He says, I want to write it with you. And I said, Mark, that's like telling James Michener after he's written three quarters of the book Hawaii that you want to finish the book with him. Why would I do that? And he said, well, number one, half the stories you tell you stole from me, which wasn't true. <laughs> maybe, and, you know, and, and then he said, and I'm a much better marketer and, and, and salesperson than you are. So I think we'd be a great, a great partnership and I'll get some more stories. And we'll have a hundred one. So that's how the book came to be. And it turned out it was a great marriage made in heaven. As I said, we had 
240 titles in the series before I sold the company to a group in New York. And they've sold many more since then. Uh, but it, was, it, it literally changed my life. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. Jack, what would you say is the purpose or the motivation behind writing these books? Well, for me, I think I've always, my life purpose statement, Tony, is I want to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. So I'm not interested in having you do what I want you to do, but what, what is your heart telling you you want to do? And so that was what I was wanting to do with my students when I taught high school, when I taught at the university level, when I was a psychotherapist, uh, when I run my workshops now. And I think the books that we've written are, the, are part of that purpose, to inspire people, is to give them stories of overcoming, stories of I can, stories of not being bullied, but also to empower people. And that's where my workshops come in, teaching tools of success, because inspiration without tools creates frustration or it creates revolution, because people want to get something, but they don't have the tools to actually create it. And then the other thing that happens is if you have a lot of tools but you're not inspired, you end up using those tools to often do things that are not for the highest good of all concern. And so those two together, that's my purpose. And I think all the books I've ever written have been for that purpose, to inspire people or to empower them. And so I now have close to 300 books in print. It's really amazing when you think about it. It is. Kudos to you. It's quite an accomplishment. Thank and you. Miriam, what's your motivation behind all of this? Well, it started off with my children, and I have four children. They range from eight years old up to 17. The oldest was nine when I wrote the first draft of that book. And it's always been about how can I, you know, I'm going to use those same words because that's what comes up for me all the time. How can I inspire them? How can I empower them to live their best life? So it started off with my children, then other children, losing my niece at a young age, that did a number on me. And I just kept thinking about all these children. What if they learn these things when they're young, right? The word can, you know, that, that came from that. I just kept thinking, what if she would know, what if she would have known that tomorrow was a new day and she could overcome that day, right? Like just one day at a time. My inspiration is children. And I, I do that through my books. And then also by helping other aspiring children's book authors put out their books so that we can reach even more children. We're talking about developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundry, and you can get the book at Amazon. And the exact title is, pay attention, everyone. Title is I Can Believe in Myself by Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundry. And you can get it at Amazon, Amazon Books. Highly recommend it. It is so great when you, I, in fact, I guarantee that if you get the book, you're going to love it. And I would love to hear back from everyone because I enjoyed it so much. It was really good. Now we're going to get a little bit more into the book and we're going to talk about this and discuss this a little bit more. Jack, after so many books for adults, why did you write a book for children? Well, I think two reasons. One is Miriam asked me to, but more importantly, I think was the fact that I, at that time I had a grandson and so uh, it was the first grandson I have, first grandchild. My, my 43-year-old son waited quite a while to do that. And uh, his name's Ozzy. He lives in Brooklyn, New York, and he's a sweet little kid. And I realized I wanted him to understand these principles. And it wasn't like I'm going to have him take one of my seminars when he's five years old, six years old, seven years old, but children's books. And I used to read tons of children's books to him. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have some books that have the principles I teach in them that he could read with me or with his father, with his mother? 
And so that was another big motivator for me. And I think always, you know, having been an educator for so many years, realizing that it all starts when you're young. When I was at the University of Massachusetts in the School of Education, we used to say, if it's done on time, it's called education. If it's done late, it's called therapy. But it's the same, it's the same principles. You know, we're learning how to take responsibility for ourselves, how to set goals, how to have values, how to ask for what we want, how to say no, how to have boundaries, how to have positive thinking, how to have a positive mindset that we're talking about today. And so uh, I think it starts young. And unfortunately, a lot of parents are what I call psychologically ignorant. And a lot of adults are too. You know, we don't have classes in our schools called life skills, called mental skills, called mindfulness, called all the things that we now as adults, people will go and spend $200 on a weekend workshop to learn. I think these things should be taught in school. I would create a course called self-science, just like we have the natural sciences, mathematical sciences, social sciences. You know, when's the last time you heard someone got divorced because they didn't know the five capitals of South America or something, but they got divorced because they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to ask for what they want. They don't know how to share their upsets without getting angry. Or There's so many things that we need to know. And so all the books that Miriam and I have written and are working on still are, are those kind of books for kids. So they learn it when they're young. Miriam, Jack says that it's your fault that he started writing books for children because you asked him. Why did you decide to write books for children? Well, for me, it's because that's, that's my life. With four children, that's truly my life. And uh, I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I did. When I started writing, like I said, my girls were pretty young. Now they're teenagers. One is going off to university next year. And I see, I see what their lives are like. And I can go back to, it was those teachings, the things that I was telling them, the stories I was reading to them. I was sharing with Jack earlier that, he has a coaching program where you get on once a week and he teaches about it. And my daughter, first of all, she saw it on Instagram that I was sharing, I was going to do this. And she came to me and she said, that thing you were talking about, can I join you? And I said, of course. So as Jack is teaching, she sits on the chair on the couch in my office and with her book, she's taking notes. She's 15. So I really believe that teaching her when she was about seven, eight years old about goal setting, about mindset, that's helped her now at 15 want to learn more and work on herself. Share the story, Miriam, of why you came to write The Big Bad Bully, because that came from your observing your daughter. Yes. Yeah, that was an, the, the, my first daughter. I saw my daughter was standing in front of a full length mirror one day and she was about 11, 12. And she was saying things like, I was in the room with her. Mommy, why are my legs so short? Why is my hair so frizzy? Why do I have so many pimples? And, you know, as a mom, I was just saying things like, oh, you're being silly. Your hair is beautiful. You don't have to worry about that. But she just kept going on. And it wasn't until I went up to her and I said, stop it. You're bullying yourself. And she just stopped talking. It was a concept that she understood, bullying somebody else. But she had to really think about the fact that she was actually bullying herself and that was one of those moments when I got goosebumps after our conversation. I went up to my room and I started writing. I thought this is a way to talk to them in a way that they understand. What a concept. I love it. And Miriam, raising kids, uh, by the way, I come from a family of six boys. There were six of us. And I know my parents went crazy raising us, all boys. Kids have or 
seem to have a self-esteem issue, depends on certain factors. What can parents do to help their children with this? Uh, It's all about spending time with them and talking to them about these issues. And I'm going to borrow an example or a thing that Jack has taught me in the past is to make children feel like they're lovable and they're capable. So making them feel like like they're doing a good job. But and, and just attempting to do things, right? It's the whole can-can't, just going for things, practicing until you get it done. And he suggests that we put two photographs in our children's bedrooms, which I have done since I heard you say this, Jack. One is a photograph of them doing something that they feel good about. Maybe it's a sport or an instrument that they're playing, something that they're learning so that they feel like they're accomplishing something, they're going for something. And the other one is to put a family photo right, of them with the parents and siblings so that they, f- they grow up feeling loved and feeling capable. So that's something that I do for my kids. And of course, finding good books, making sure that they're watching good shows on TV or on YouTube. They're always, right now, it's a completely different thing with kids. But just making sure that they're watching positive things because it's, it's what they're listening to. It's what they're learning. Those are smart points, Jack, that you uh, gave her about how to build up self-esteem so easily with just some family photos and what an accomplishment that the child has done. It's very smart. There's a couple of other things, Tony, too, that people can do. And, and I, if you're listening to this and you're an adult, and even if you don't have kids, what I want you to get is that all these principles apply to you no matter what age you are. Just acknowledging your own successes every day. One of the things I teach people is to do something we call the mirror exercise, where every night you talk to yourself in the mirror for about a minute and a half. You start by saying your name, Jack, I want to acknowledge you for this following things today. And you look at your successes, any accomplishments, any temptations you overcame and any disciplines you kept. So it might sound like something, Jack, I want to acknowledge you for being on Tony's show and being a really good guest. I want to acknowledge you for writing a new chapter in your book today. I want to acknowledge you for planning a workshop that you're going to do with uh, Catherine next week. I want to acknowledge you for staying on your diet. Uh, You lost a pound yesterday, and I think you're going to lose another pound today. I want to acknowledge you for not eating that cake that your wife offered you, which which she should know better. You're on a diet. And, you know, you didn't stay up and play words with friends until 12 in the morning, and you went to bed at a reasonable time. So if you do that every day, you start to affirm your successes. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundry. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. As pet parents, working from home has given us more time to spend with our four-legged family members. Now we're more aware of their daily needs, health issues, and well-being. So if you've noticed that your pet is itchy or smells less than pleasant, you have to check out Scout's Honor. Scout's Honor is my go-to pet brand for grooming products that help with itch relief, odor control, and an overall healthier skin and coat. We love these products. We use them on Daisy, our family dog. The shampoo lathered up well and left her coat super soft. And we noticed that she's not itching herself. She has allergies, but no reactions here. Hey, this is the good stuff. She smells great and looks so clean. Scout's Honor's probiotic grooming products are a scientifically proven natural solution for treating your pet's skin problems. When applied to the skin, 
probiotics support healthy bacteria and fight against bad bacteria that cause irritation. Choose from their amazing fragrances. We like the honeysuckle. I think you'll be hooked when you try that one. With every purchase, Scout's Honor provides one day's worth of meals for a rescue animal in need. And they've given out over 5 million meals. Hats off to them. With Scout's Honor, your pet will never look, feel, or smell better. Check out all of Scout's Honor's award-winning products today, available online or wherever pet supplies are sold. Remember that's Scouts with a K at scoutshonor.com slash D-U-R-S-O for 20% off your order. Scouts Honor, natural and preventative grooming solutions for pets. That's S-K-O-U-T-S-H-O-N-O-R.com slash D-U-R-S-O. All right, guys, check it out and tell me how much you love it. Scoutshonor.com slash D-U-R-S-O. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundry. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and I'll share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. Also, there's a special announcement at the very, very end of the show about my live after-party show. Check that out for more details. On May 7, 2014, Miriam set the Guinness World Record for the largest online book discussion in a 24-hour period. And now back to the chat with Jack and Miriam. The president of the Levi Strauss Company, who makes Levi jeans, he actually was a person I wrote about in one of my books. He kept what he called a victory log. Every day before he went home from work, he wrote down his victories for the day. And he was afraid to could always talk to his board of directors. It made him very nervous. But he said, if I would read my victory log before I would go talk to the board and see all these things I've accomplished over the last several weeks or month, then I didn't worry about it because I felt good about myself. So that's just one little kind of exercise you can do. Another thing we teach is to have what we call dinner talk conversations, dinner table conversations. The Kennedy family, every night, at dinner, Papa Joe Kennedy would ask Jack and Bobby and all the other people a question, two questions, actually. One, what did you learn today? Or he might ask, what did you accomplish today? Then he also asked, what's something you did for someone else today? So you think about these kids, every day we're learning, I get validation by doing things, by learning things, and by making a difference in the lives of others. So they all got into lives of service, public service. And so Again, just those little daily inputs, like little little shots of mental vitamin pills, if you will, begin to build up the self-esteem and self-confidence over time. And so those are just a couple other ideas that we teach people. And Jack, you began in education. What advice do you have for parents and teachers who are educating kids at home and, and they're struggling to help them find motivation or focus, and especially for the parents who hear a lot of I can'ts? What advice do you have for them? Aside from reading this great book here. I was going to say, kiddingly, vodka, but no, I'm just teasing. Um, basically, what I think is that, that you have to realize kids are stressed out right now. And when we talk about I can't, Miriam and I were talking about this yesterday, kids are living in a, a world of I can't. I can't see my grandparents. I can't play with my friends. I can't go to school. I can't make noise when dad's on his uh, Zoom call with his business associates, you know. 
I can't play with a dog because it'll bark, you know, whatever. So the reality is that we need to, first of all, be sensitive to that. And we need to spend time with them, encouraging them and supporting and acknowledge them for what they did do. You know, one of the things we know for sure is if somebody does 10 things right and one thing wrong, most parents focus on the one thing they did wrong instead of acknowledging them for the 10 things they did right. So anything that approximates the behavior you want, acknowledge that, reinforce that, and you're going to get more of it. Mary and I were talking yesterday too about the importance of making sure the kids have no distractions, that their cell phone's not there. They're not, you know, they don't have the internet on in the background. They're not listening to music, that they're really focused on their task, have some water nearby, maybe a snack nearby so they, their blood sugar, sugar stays up, and encourage them to get up and move every once in a while. You know, this is another thing. Kids today, all of us, you, me, and Miriam, we're sitting in front of our computers doing Zoom calls all day long. Not the healthiest thing for our body. One of my friends said, you either become a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk during the pandemic. <laughs> and so a lot of us have become chunks, some people drunks, few people work out every day because they have more time, they become the hunk. But I think the idea is we have to move. And I think make, get, giving time for children, they're not going to have recess. They're not seeing their friends at school. Uh, so those kind of things I think are important as well. Wonderful points. Miriam, anything to add to that? You know, I'll, I'll speak on the side of the parents. I, I feel we just started online learning this week. Our, our province is in a lockdown. And I noticed, and if, you know, my husband and I talked at the beginning of the week, I have a lot of interviews this week and a lot of work. So he was going to take care of my eight-year-old mainly. The other ones are doing things on their own. But I noticed how stressed my husband was, like getting all the things ready. And of course, he shows up right at the time that it's supposed to start. So he's stressed, then my child's stressed. And so right after he did that, we had a little conversation on tomorrow. Let's get on half an hour early. Let's make sure everything is working so that our son is not stressed when he gets on and he's thinking that he's late and he's done something wrong when they, they know when we're stressed. So giving yourself ample time to get things organized, to get things ready, like Jack was saying, like give them a little space to know that this is their area, their pencil, their, you know, everything that they need, their water. Another thing that I do with my son when I just see him and he starts, oh, I don't want to do this or I can't. I just, I try and break his pattern. I'll just say, let me see how fast you can do five jumping jacks. He's only eight, right? So he'll go like really fast. Did you time me? Yeah, I did. Okay, great. You did a great job. So then it's just, it's just when I see him getting into that, that state, he just needs to break out of it. That's, that's all it is. And then he goes back to, sure, I can do this. So that's, that's my advice as a parent. Good parental advice there. And for the audience, we've been talking a lot about I can't and I can and as we all know, it's no secret, this past year, 2020, so many I can'ts, and we talk a bit about them. And this is for kids, for adults, for solopreneurs, small business owners, it's just too much. This book has a great message of sense of empowerment. Miriam, how does this book break through that and kind of open things up for us? Yeah, it's it's all about believing in yourself and start starting to use the word can. The thing is that when we say I can't do something, we stop ourselves. That's That word is so limiting. It stops us from even trying. So if a child, instead of saying I can't, starts thinking, okay, I can do that. I, I teach three, three steps to success to children when I go to schools and I talk about the story. 
I teach them if there's something that you want to do, maybe it's ride a bike without training wheels, or maybe it's to do a cartwheel or to get an A on your math test. You can follow three simple steps to get there. The first thing is to say, I can do it and believe that you can do it. Now, does it mean that you're going to be able to do it the first time? Some kids are able to get on their bike and just ride and and that's fine, but most kids need extra time. So then the second thing I suggest is looking for somebody that knows how to do what they want to do and ask them for help. And then step three is to practice and practice until you can get it done. And I share with kids the story of my daughter when she was in kindergarten, she went to do a cartwheel and she fell down and she got up and she said, I can't do a cartwheel. And that was it. She didn't try for years. So when the book came out, she was in a grade two. One day she came to me. So I read the story to her class and she came to me and she said, mommy, I can do a cartwheel. Watch. And she went to do it, but she fell. And what was different this time is that she got up and she said to me, I can do a cartwheel. And she went to do it again. She kept falling, but she kept practicing. And then one night we had our babysitter come over and she asked her for help. So this babysitter gave her some tips on what to do with her hands, how to put her legs. And she was learning. And then the step three is she practiced and practiced. And about two weeks later, she finally landed her cartwheel. And it's just those three simple steps. She was so proud of herself and she was able to do it. So that's the, that's the one thing I keep reminding children. You may not be able to do it right away, but it's, it's an attitude. It's what you tell yourself. You know, and just to jump in and talk about if you're an adult listening to this as well for yourself, you know, Napoleon Hill used to say, if you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. So conceiving it simply means I want to do a car wheel or I want to start a business or I want to become a millionaire, want to write a book. And then to choose to believe it is really just a choice. And that's one of the things we really want people to get, whether you're an adult or a child. A belief is a choice. You choose to believe it or not. Now, a lot of times we have external events that seem to indicate that we should choose to believe something we're not competent. Research shows that by the age of eight, most kids have decided if they're intelligent, if they're athletic, if they can do math, if people like them, if they're lovable. All these things happen pretty quickly based on things where they maybe they got shamed at school by a teacher, by a parent, whatever. But if you can conceive it and then choose to believe it. And then I love what Tony Robbins says, success leaves clues. Everyone has left clues who's been successful. There are books, there are courses, there are webinars, there's YouTube videos, there's master classes, there are TED Talks, there's TEDx Talks, there's shows like yours with guests that give people clues. And so basically, it's just a matter of having the mindset that even though I can't do it now, I can learn how to do it. Self-esteem is the, the knowledge that I have the competence to learn what I need to know. It's not that I'm born with that talent, but I can develop it. I can actually develop it. And that's the difference between what they call a fixed mindset. It says, if I can do it once, I'll probably never do it versus I couldn't do it, but I'm going to learn how to do it and making that commitment. Thank you, Jack. And there are some activities at the end of the book that parents and educators can do with their children to reinforce the messages in the book. So it's not just a story of I can, there, there are actual practices. Jack, can you describe one or two of them and why they work? Well, some of them are singular events, like we have one called the I Can't Funeral, where you literally have yourself and your children write down a list of all the things you think you can't do. I can't spell, I can't do a cartwheel, 
I can't get my friend Bobby to like me. I can't keep my room clean. I can't, you know, memorize mathematical formulas, whatever it might be. And then what we do is we gather all those together. It's a great family exercise, by the way. And it's great if you do it with your kids as well. You know, I can't get through the morning without a cup of coffee. <laughs> I, I can't, you know, tie my shoes. You know, a lot of kids will say whatever. Once we get all those down, then what we have in the book is part of the, the story in the book is the, the protagonist of the book takes all of her cans and runs them through a shredder. And so you can do, you could have a class or a family running through a paper shredder. You could put it in a container and light it like in a fireplace and burn them all up. You could bury them in a funeral in the backyard and bury them. And then uh, we have a little eulogy, which goes like this. It says, uh, boys and girls, or it could be every family, please join your hands and bow your heads. We gather here today to honor the memory of I can't. While he was with us on here on earth, he touched the lives of everyone, some more than others. His name has been spoken in every public building, schools, city halls, state capitals, and even in the White House. We have now provided I can't with a final resting place. He is survived by his brothers and his sisters. I can, I will, and I'm going to right away. They're not as well known as their famous relative and are certainly not as strong and powerful yet, but perhaps someday with your help, they will make an even bigger mark on the world. And so that ritual, like rituals are very powerful. Why do we have marriage rituals and funerals and so forth? And then, so that's just one tool. Another tool is to what we call I can affirmations, where you take all the things you wrote, I can't, and now you write an affirmation. I can, I can tie my shoes. I can play the drums. I can catch a ball. I can start a business. I can balance my checkbook, you know, adults, whatever it might be. And then what we ask you to do is to many things. You can put them all on three by five cards, put them on your mirror. You can put them on post-its. You can have them on your screensaver. And then you want to read those every morning and then close your eyes and visualize doing the thing that you want to do. So, you know, I learned to play tennis by visualizing having a good backstroke. I learned to dive by imagining diving into the pool and going in with nothing, you know, that no splash like you see in the Olympics. Uh, I visualized, I, I was a terrible, terrible speaker, scared to death of people's judgment. And I remember one of the people at the Stone Foundation when I started teaching there telling me, close your eyes, imagine giving the talk, imagine everyone coming up and giving a standing ovation at the end and then coming up and wanting your autograph. And so I remember giving a talk where I went into the men's room, went into a stall, closed the stall, sat down and did that visualization, saw the standing ovation, then went out and gave a great talk because I visualized it. So that's another tool that parents and adults can use on anything they want to learn to do. Golfers do it. Olympic athletes do it. Um, it really is a powerful, powerful tool. Yes, it is. Miriam, anything to add to that? That was great. That, that was great. I'll tell you that for me, when I, I started speaking at schools, I had the whole knees shaking and I didn't I had no experience with public speaking, but when I started speaking at schools, I would practice a bit of visualizing right before I got on stage or at the front of the gymnasium. And then when I get there, I just take a moment as I'm being introduced and kind of look at all four corners of the room. And I just do a quick little prayer meditation with my eyes open, just so that I'm grabbing everybody's attention. Like I'm, I'm talking to everybody, but visualizing right before that's what really, really helps me. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about developing the I Can mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundry. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. 
Podcasts are small businesses. When we're talking to business owners, we get it 100%. And when it comes to hiring, every single hire needs to fit just right. Our team is tiny. One wrong move could destroy us. That's why we're telling you about Indeed. Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly so you can do the part you really need faster. Meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. Indeed, with Instant Match, you see a list of great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. That's I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash D-U-R-S-O. All right, guys, check it out and tell me how much you love it. Indeed.com slash D-U-R-S-O. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this, and I'll share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. Also, there's a special announcement at the very, very end of the show about my live after-party show. Check that out for more details. And now back to the chat with Jack and Miriam. You said the one thing about checking out the four corners. Any other tips or suggestions you can give? We have a wide swath of audience, uh, members in our audience, a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, but just about everyone has kids, nieces, and nephews. So we'd love any tips and advice that you can give us on that. I'll share a couple that I've used for me. And, you know, when my children, there's always speech time in schools and now it's not mandatory. They get to choose. And I always encourage my kids to to get up and do the speech. It doesn't matter how scared they are, because I really believe that learning to speak in front of a crowd when you're young really helps you later on, right? Job interviews, any type of speaking. But what I suggest to them is always to practice a lot before getting on that in front of their classroom. When I did, my, I did a TEDx talk about three years ago, I told myself I need to give that same speech to six other groups so that when I get on that stage, I, it would, you know, I've practiced it so many times and given the same speech, it'll be a piece of cake. And it totally was. So I, uh, I suggest to my kids, okay, let's call grandma today, pre-COVID, for her to come over and just give your speech. Let's call your aunt, your uncle, your cousins, you know, like just practice in front of people that they're comfortable with. And then you can get up in front of your class and do it. Those are great points. 
And the characters in your book, by the way, they're multicultural. How important was that to you? It, it was very important. I think, you know, because we are, you know, multicultural, and Miriam comes from Bolivia, is it? Yeah. And um, we also, I, I taught in an all-black school. My grandson is half Japanese. Um, so we wanted to have black, brown, and, and Asian people in the book. And also, funnily enough, there's places where kids' names show up. So we had some of our kids' names in the book as well, and my grandson's name, which makes it fun. But we have a, a, a pair of twins who are black boys, and um, there's a Hispanic girl and an Asian girl, I think it is. And so given that Black Lives Matter was happening this year and we were committed to multiculturalism anyway, you know, that's part of self-esteem is knowing we're all part of this game together. Everybody belongs. Everybody's equal at some level. So that was a big, big issue. And we asked our illustrator to do that. We had to give her some feedback a couple of times about are they black enough? Are they brown enough? <laughs> Whatever. You know, it was very interesting. But we have an illustrator in Italy who's really, really very good because we actually have a lot of wonderful illustrations. And I know you're giving a little Italian <laughs> sign there. But the reality is it, I think it really works. And kids need to see themselves in a book. When I was teaching African-Americans back in 1968, I think it was, in Calumet High School in the south side of Chicago, there weren't very many books with black kids in them. And if they were, they were stereotypes. And so, the, you know, today that's changed a lot. But people, if they don't see themselves in movies and on TV, they don't feel like they exist. And so that was really, really very important for us to do that. I don't know if you want to add anything, Miriam. It's exactly the same thing. I did not see any Hispanic children in books when I was growing up. And I think had I seen that, that would have really helped me along the way, right? Because at home we spoke Spanish, we ate Spanish food, and that's, that was totally different going into school and everybody has different, you know, just it's different, um, how, what they wear is different, what they eat is different. So had I seen that in children's books, I think I would have felt like I fit in more. What advice do you have for aspiring writers? We have a lot of authors in our audience. We have people that want to write a book. We have some people that... They're afraid to write their first book. It's the I can't, but that's a separate, a separate topic because there's a great book that takes care of it called I Can't Believe in Myself. So if you want to write a book and you're afraid to write a book, you should read this other book that will help you write your book. But aside from that, trying to be a little silly here, let's talk about what advice do you have for aspiring writers? You know, I, I want to share that principle that I shared, the three little tips for success, it's the same in anything that you do, right? The first thing is to believe that you can do it. Put it, put yourself out there. I had so many fears about writing the first book. And the biggest fear is, was about being seen. What are people going to say that you've, that I started writing a book? Who am I to write a book? I've never taken a writing course, right? So I had to start with that. Okay. I'll take a couple of writing courses. I'll learn about it. I will read a lot of children's books. And then just putting one foot in front of the other and just going for it, finding people that have already done what I wanted to do. So getting in a community with other authors, like-minded people, seminars like the ones that I attended with Jack, where people people are thinking differently. You are the five people you spend the most time with. We keep hearing that over and over, but it's so true. So I always put myself in a community that helps me grow. And that is my advice for aspiring authors also. Same thing. Find the people that have already done it, get some help, put yourself in that container, and then practice and practice until you get it done. You don't write a book with the first draft. 
I can believe in myself. Maybe we're up to maybe 25 with the new additions, 25 different drafts until it's, it is what it is today. So you need to practice your skill. Chicken Soup for the Soul was rewritten six times, the first book. I went through every story, rewrote it, rewrote it. We got feedback. 20 people gave us feedback on every story. said, uh, this is what I tell all authors, ask for feedback. You know, most books get written with only two pieces of feedback. You write the book, Tony. Your wife tells you what she thinks about it. Maybe your, you know, cousin looks at it and then some agent who looks at it, maybe. And that's three or four people's opinion. But if you can get feedback from 20 people with chicken soup, we would have, we would have black, brown, yellow, Christian, Jewish, agnostic, Muslim, people living in the suburbs, people living in the city, people living on the West Coast, Midwest, et cetera, giving us feedback on each story, grading it on a scale of one to 10. And if it wasn't a 10, what would make it a 10? And that's what made that first book take off and, and was on a bestseller list for three years because the stories work. And I remember I went to um, Colorado and I went to a, a ski resort in the summer and spent three days just sitting in a hot tub at night and writing all day. And I read every story out loud. And if it didn't come trippingly off the tongue, that sentence, I would rewrite the sentence. And that was on the sixth, sixth edit. And th- that's what made the book so well. I remember the book, I think Jurassic Park was written 12 times before it became a a book and then became a movie. And so even the best authors are constantly rewriting. So get words on paper. Just, I call it vomit copy. Just get words on paper. Let people respond to it, get feedback, and then keep doing it until you get something that works. I want to thank you guys so much. We talked about developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. And the great book is I Can believe in myself and everybody get it at Amazon. It's just that simple. Go to Amazon. I can believe in myself by Jack Canfield and Miriam laundry, get the book, buy a bunch of copies and give them out as presents. You'll understand what I'm saying when you read it. Cause it's a very powerful message guys. Thank you so much for sharing this and please, we want to see more books and thanks for helping everyone. Hey, fellow entrepreneurs. Thanks for hanging out with me while I featured elite entrepreneurs who took their vision to reality. I'm sure this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview. We learned some amazing points on developing the I Can Mindset with Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. Jack Canfield started his amazing road to success by wanting to get his high school students motivated to learn. They didn't believe they could as they had very low self-esteem. He took a class himself on how to motivate people and how to get them to achieve more. Soon, his students started doing well and it mushroomed as the school's principal wanted him to teach the other teachers. Therein began his road on how to help people become more successful. Miriam went to Jack's seminar based on a suggestion from her husband to help her deal with her newborn baby as well as a death in the family. Jack took the attendees through an exercise on how to let go of the word can't. On the flight back, Miriam wrote a draft for the book I can believe in myself. We've all heard how important it is to tell stories, but how many of us do it? Jack says the story Velcros the principal information to the brain. He learned that from teaching students and to prevent them from looking out the window from boredom. Telling stories held their attention. I'm impressed at how both Jack and Miriam wrote a draft for their book on a plane flight. You have a lot of time on a long flight to put something together. I remember that one weekend my wife went away and I had two days to myself. So I sat down and wrote the draft for my first sales book, which later became 
easy sales procedures. I think of how people would go to retreats to write, and it's the same principle of getting away from the normal routine and focusing on creating something very unique. It's a great way to accomplish something. Jack has a great life purpose statement to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. That's powerful. I love how he followed that up with books and workshops because, as he says, inspiration without tools creates frustration or revolution because people want to get something but don't have the tools to get it. And the wisdom goes on and on. There's so much more I got out of this interview. What did you get? I'd love to know how you use this information to help you in your business or career. Did this interview give you any ideas for your business? Did it stimulate you to take some new action? Please share and grab hold of your vision. Decide you're either going to start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision. And you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The ebook is at tonydurso.com slash books. I created my empire in just a few years. That's all it took. I had the vision map as my guide. You can do it too. Let's help you move on your journey to success. And once again, please consider supporting the show with a nice review. Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash Tony. Thanks and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. Hey guys, don't miss out on The Tony D'Urso Show After Party at Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. We will be going live weekly and we want to hear from you. Sign up at Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O and you'll see my current weekly live shows. Remember, this is live and you can speak with me directly on the air. How cool is that? We did a few tests and you'll see that in the show listing when you join us. Stereo is the app for live social conversations and I want to talk directly with you, my listeners. You can join our show, ask questions about anything for the entrepreneur and share your experiences and opinions. We want to hear everything. Get the app now and join us live this week. The link to our show is also in the show notes, Stereo.com slash T-D-U-R-S-O. Newsflash, the live after-party show is now every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific. Sign in now so you know how to find my weekly live show and also catch prior shows. I look forward to speaking with you every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.